0: This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here is your host, Carl Valeri. Welcome to episode 36 of the show where we give you an inside view of the numerous aviation jobs and help you achieve your career goal. I hope you find this show informative and inspirational. Are you a military pilot thinking of making the jump to the airlines? Do you think that you might wait until retirement before making the jump to the airlines? Well, there are some pros and cons of both staying in the military and leaving for the airlines. For over a decade, I've assisted military pilots with leaves of absence and have seen the good and bad of combining an airline job with military reserve. In this issue, I will relate to you my experiences working with military pilots who have both retired and those who are in the military part-time. Today's episode was inspired by a question from a listener in the military who is thinking of making the jump to the airlines. To help me respond to this question, I have a response from Steve Mullos, who for many years has also helped military pilots with leaves of absence from the airline so that they could go and do their military duty. Steve has had to make the same decisions himself about changing careers. You know, if you're thinking of making a career change, becoming an airline pilot, and thinking of retiring or thinking of retiring early, you might find the information in this podcast very useful for yourself, even if you're not in the military right now. So let's listen to the question that inspired today's show. I got a question from Jonathan. Jonathan writes, Carl, I love listening to Aviation Careers podcasts and only recently discovered this podcast. I've listened to a few of the episodes and have really enjoyed them. You do a great job providing help to inspiring and current pilots who are looking for future opportunities in the flying world. My question today is for myself and other military pilots who are deciding whether to continue flying for the military or transition to the airlines when our commitments are over. I'm an Air Force pilot with just over 1,500 hours and have been deployed six times in my eight years in service. I'm at the point in my life where I'd like to give more of my time to my family and see my kids grow up. I'd also like to get my family closer to their grandparents and other family members. The debate is whether to continue my service until I hit 20 years, get the military retirement at age 42, then transition to the airlines or separate at about 13 years and go to the airlines. If I get out early, I'd still look for a job in the Guard or Reserves so I could still get my military retirement, but it'd take me a few extra years to earn it. By leaving active duty, I would be creating a little more work for myself to get my military retirement. But it wouldn't be that hard. The biggest downsides to getting out early would be a a loss of security that comes with being in the military and a length of time until I could get my retirement. Some of the pros would be getting into the airline sooner as hiring picks up, which helped with seniority and upgrades. Getting my family closer to home and rooted in a location without the threat of moving. Good bait pay, travel perks, and not having to deploy a couple times a year. That's also another benefit. I'm still a few years away when I'm at the point in my career where I need to get a vector either towards a 20-year career with promotions and staff jobs, non-flying staff jobs, or staying in flying in a flying job building hours and experience at the cost of my career. I want to do what is best for my family, and all I know it has been the military. I love flying and know I'd be happy in any job as long as it's in the air. I'd like to hear your take on the military-to-airline transition and also any advice you have for military pilots like myself who are going through this debate. If possible, could you also talk about family life as an airline pilot, the rules on living near your home base or deadheading, and if getting a type rating on top of the ATP is worth it in the hiring process any advice would be greatly appreciated thanks for all your hard work and for the great blog and podcast well uh thanks again for writing in Jonathan i, I really appreciate that the and also thanks so much for your service i uh, do really appreciate all you and everybody in the military does for us here in the united states the uh one of the things i'm going to do is have uh steve uh, Molos, who was a retired Air Force pilot, or excuse me, Air Force, he was, um, he did some flying, but he did primarily the flying as a civilian, but he's retired from the Air Force and he also helped work with me, uh, representing military pilots at the airline and has many experiences and has seen the challenges placed on military pilots on leave. And I'm going to let Steve answer, uh, some parts of your question, but, but before I begin that, I want to I want to take I want to give you my perspective and then I'll let you listen to Steve. Now I have uh, no military experience. Well, maybe I do. My day 1 and day 2 I was in the military. I was born in a naval hospital in Philadelphia and then day 2 I was I was let go. But and I've never spent more than just those two days in the military. But but let's let's talk a, let me talk about the the family life as an airline pilot because I do have some experience with that. The family life as an airline pilot is both rewarding and challenging, okay? The rewarding part is the fact that when you're off, you're off, okay? Let's use my – here, let me use my schedule for this month. I was gone for five days and had to work for five days straight. Then I had two days off. Well, the problem is with my two days off, I didn't get in until like 1230 on in the morning. Was home for one night and then had to go back to work. Now that doesn't sound very appealing, but then I had to have to work four more days. But then afterwards, I had three days off, and hopefully on my last day, I'll be able to commute home. And my home is actually a thousand miles away from where I work. And I'll talk a little bit about uh, commuting to work and and deadheading, like you asked. But but let's look at the impact on the family life. Okay, I was only there one night, didn't get to do much. Went out to dinner and all. That was great. Now I'll have three days off so I can get a lot done. Then I come back and work two days. And then after that, I have six days straight off, six days off. And that's like what I've been trying to do with my airline career in general is I try to to pack my schedule in so that I I get a good seven days off in a row every month. Some people would think that's just like a vacation every month, and it pretty much is. I tend to have about 12 to 14 days off, but those 12 to 14 days off can be scattered. Now, what it means to commute to work, okay, let's look at my situation. commute and and most other pilots have the same situation I do, so let's just use me as an example. What it means to commute to work, when you mention the word deadhead, okay, in airlines deadheading means that you are actually on a flight and you are usually riding as a passenger and you're being paid actually to dry, fly as a passenger. When you're commuting to work, we don't call that deadheading, we, we just call that like jump seating. Or non-revenue passenger riding or non-revving. And, and what that's like is this. I've done both. I've lived in base and I've commuted. Currently, I'm a thousand miles away. I have to go to the airport, leave my house, go to the airport, fly to my destination and then go to work. The total time traveling to work for me is, is on a good day, six hours from door to door. Okay. From six hours door to door. But what I, I only do that once a week. And then I do the same thing coming home. So it's 12 hours all the way around. Now, the problem with that is this. Sometimes I have to go in a day earlier. So, well, there's a good example. I'm speaking right now. I uh, came in today to go to work for tomorrow afternoon because I had another podcast to do and I, I wouldn't have been able to do that podcast and also commute up. So certain things outside of work have pressure, put some pressure on my commuting ability. So that, that's one of the downsides to commuting. Also, uh, commuting on, on your airline, usually if it's your own airline going from say where I live in and, uh, in one city to the next, it's a little easier because you have seniority on that airline, et cetera. And, and other guests from other airlines don't quite have that seniority and also those privileges like you do. They're a lower level. So you get to get on the plane first. The, the downside to commuting too is the fact that if the weather's bad, you have to go up early, et cetera. The great part about commuting is this. I can live anywhere I want in the world, okay? And the cool thing is where I live, I do have to drive a half hour, but I go from my – I live on a little island, uh, on a barrier island in, in Florida, and then I drive uh, over a bunch of bridges and drive to the airport and go to work in New York. The I would not be able to do that otherwise. Uh, I would have to be based, say, right now I'm working in New York, so I'd have to be based in New York, and New York can be very expensive. So therein lies the other benefit of commuting, the expense. There's lots of expenses with living in New York City compared to where I live in Florida and or anywhere else in the world. I know people that have huge ranches out in Texas, and that huge ranch is just as much as a house in New York's, uh, just, uh, say on Long Island or in New Jersey, in the city especially. Wow. So that is a great benefit. Plus, if you have family and children, you can move your family to a destination that has your parents, uh, so that the kids can be around their grandparents and help out. So that, that's a great bonus. I see that happen often where people will move closer to their family. Or maybe they'll move their family towards them. Uh, it's, it's great. I mean, that, that is so terrific being able to, to have your, your family with you and in a spot where, where they feel real stable. You mentioned that is that you want them to be stable. So that's also a, a neat part about commuting is that you know your family is going to be in a stable environment. I hear a lot of airline pilots say to me, I am not going to move for an airline. I'm going to stay where I want to stay. And that's what they mean by that. They are always going to commute. I tell you, there's some tough commutes out there. For a while, I was doing a commute where uh, I had to fly three different legs just to get to my destination where I lived. So again, if you pick a destination to live, pick it uh, close to an airport that you can drive to, and then then fly to work. That might be a little bit easier. Also, I I can't complain about my commute. I have a whole bunch of flights to New York. i only have one leg. And again, when I was living uh, in uh the country, I actually had to take a plane to a bigger airport to take a plane to where I destination. So that can be a bit difficult. So there's there's some of the, the parts of commuting you have to think about. Now let's talk about not commuting and driving to work. When we say not commuting we mean by car driving to work. Uh it can be stressful depending on how long your drive is. I know people that do three hour drives. They do one hour drives. The closer you are to work the better. I have been fortunate and I've been, I've tried to always get a place close to where I work, either, uh, you know, an apartment or something like that where it's a, it's a close drive. Um, this is one point where I decided I'm going to commute because I, I didn't want to live, uh, in the area near the airport because it was quite expensive. But driving to work's awesome. I mean, you can also make more money by being close to work because say you want to pick up some extra work, some extra flights. You can do that if you live near work. If you have to commute in, you have a lot more planning to do. I'm not saying you can't do it, you just have to plan it better. That's all. So there's there's some of the parts about commuting and and we could do a whole episode on commuting, but getting to work is very important. And the airlines, of course, being on time is important and making sure that flight goes out on time. So you have to be responsible and get yourself to work. Every airline's different in how they handle whether you are late for work or what to do with you if you are late for work. So make sure you you look at that also cuz some airlines uh you know three strikes you out type of thing where where you have the possibility of po- of getting fired if you're you're late three times other airlines have very very liberal policy so that that's something you, you need to look at when you're looking at the different airlines uh the pros and cons of leaving a military job early uh the i uh, i'm just going to mention a few and then i'm going to let uh, i'm going to let steve or i'm actually going to read steve's answer uh one of the things that i've seen because i have worked with uh, a lot of these military uh folks in the past and doing leaves of absence for them is that uh, you do have to if you decide to go to the reserves or the air national guard you do have to uh fulfill your commitments every so often so you're not only commuting to that that commitment you are also committing to work if uh if that's in a different city, both of those are in a different city. Uh the other thing too is that leaving the military you leave behind the the health care that you had, you leave behind uh the stability of that job if that is a stable job anymore. Uh but if you do leave early, you also gain seniority with an airline. And remember, there's one important fact. Seniority is everything in an airline. When you move to an airline, your pay, your position, your base, when you go to training, when you have vacation, all those things are based on how long you've been at that airline. So if you decide to wait 10 more years, another one of your friends goes to the airline, they're there for 10 years before you, that that could make a big difference. Uh, I actually uh, had a um, person that I worked with who had a friend in the military who didn't leave, and and he left, okay? It was 10 years prior he left. And they got together one day and figured out, and it's kind of interesting they did this, and figured out how much difference there would be in their pay over that 10 years, how much more the the person that went to the airline made than the person in the military. Of course, the person in the military makes more money in the beginning than the airline pilot. Well, the guy who went to the airlines after 10 years they figured out he made about a million dollars over that 10 years different than the person that didn't leave the military. So that's quite a bit of pay. Uh, but the, of course, the person that left the mil or didn't leave the military, he actually had his retirement and he also had his uh, medical benefits and didn't have to worry about getting furloughed, laid off, et cetera. So he had that safety net that the other person did not have. So that's, that's really, really, you know, something to look at there. Uh I would say that right now with the wave of hiring that's happening here it's very easy to get a job if you can't get a job with a major and you're out get a job with a regional I know a lot of airline, um military pilots don't like to do that but it's best to keep your skills up and do some flying because soon enough you're going to get a, you're going to get a, a a job with with the uh, majors that's for sure uh it's also important uh to know all when you do decide to go to the airlines is to n- know all the contacts at your company concerning military leave because in your case which is the case uh for most military pilots it's you're going to be doing either as a reservist doing some work as a reservist air national guard that type of thing and while you're on leave you're going to have to have some good contacts make sure you know who your union rep is who uh the, the representative is in the chief pilot's office a lot of times the best person to talk to in any chief pilot's office is the person who's the administrator uh or any administrative person in that office cuz they usually know how to put together your leave of absence and how to put together your return from from leave but let me talk about that for a minute as far as um uh, and now this I'm going to speak towards people that are looking at leaving the military but not uh actually uh retiring but finishing the commitment and working as a reservist, uh, you know, in the Air National Guard, et cetera. The challenge here, and of course, I can't uh, mention any specifics because of, you know, confidentiality reasons, but the challenge here is that every so often, uh, no, either no fault of their own or, uh, depending on the company you work for, they, they may not, uh, you know, treat the military personnel as well as others. Is that you? Mistakes happen, and when you return from leave, there's a possibility your job might not be there uh, by either accident or purposeful. There are certain rights that you have as as a, uh, a military personnel that they uh, the government puts into place, and there's rules in place that, uh, that you have to be able to get your job back, especially if you're you're come back from war. So now I'm gonna. T- Give you a couple of, uh, and I don't like to do this because I, uh, I want to color this differently because there, this is the worst case scenario that I'm talking about that could happen. And I'm just going to give you a couple examples. These are things that have happened and I won't get into too many details, but, but just, just remember this could happen and it's best to have your ducks in a row before you go on a leave. Number one. Uh, I've seen people go on leaves of absence for uh, a period of time. They were called up to go to war and say the company owed them uh, money or owed them vacation time, etc. They and were not paid out that vacation. Well, then there's a process that has to be made. uh, and But unfortunately, you have that process that you have to go through. Again, the best thing to do is to know who your representative is at the company that you can talk to. Uh, the The worst egregious example I have seen uh, and remember I work with many or, or have worked with many different airlines that do and the people in those departments that do military leave, so I get to hear the real horror stories is is hearing about somebody coming back from the war and actually being told that they 've been terminated uh This obviously was not correct but now you have to go through that process of of making sure that the company knows the rules. There are some companies that do a better job than others as far as uh knowing the actual rules and regulations for people returning from a war. So uh, again, it's best to to you you go out and make the effort to make sure you have contact with your representatives at your company or your union that know those rules and that can help you out. I've assisted many, many pilots that, that, uh, the company's made these certain sm- much smaller errors than that, obviously. But that, that is a, that is an extreme example of this happening. Uh, that doesn't normally happen, but I would say it's about 5% of the time that the company will make a mistake. Uh, and usually it's rectified fairly quickly. Again, to make that process easier, just make sure you know who your, who your contact is. So again, I'm, I'm giving you all the bad stuff here. Uh, so I want you to think about that before you go on leave is, is, or before you decide to go on any kind of military leave or before you decide to retire. Number one, make sure you know your rights when you retire and you say you decide to go into the reserves, uh, and then you get called up to active duty. Know what your rights are before you leave. Do this research prior. I know most of you know this, but, but make sure that you do know that, uh, very well and know who your contacts are. Makes life a lot easier. I've had to work with a lot of folks in the battlefield who have had to email me because they couldn't call. It was a, a you know an odd situation where they were, you know they're up to their neck in in a battle and then you know they had to deal with this back home. Of course, we had their back and we were the ones that were representing them, so we made this this process much easier for them. And it was great for me to email and say, "Hey, listen, we took care of that. Don't worry. You know, just keep safe, come home, and uh, and we'll get you your job back and your." Your position is is here, and everything's been settled, and all your you know benefits will be be reinstated, that type of thing. Uh, so so those are the those are the kind of things, and those are the good stories, you know, that that you hear is when you're able to help people like that. Uh, anytime you do something different, uh, the 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 point being is sometimes there's mistakes made, and uh, you know even when you're working the job, the regular job, they make mistakes on your paycheck, and you have to get them fixed. There's a process for that. Uh, just uh, I just want to let you know. Uh, but for the most part, it's great. Uh, I think the neat thing is that you get to actually go out and fly for the airlines and you get to also, uh, fly, for, uh, military, uh, as a military pilot. And, uh, you can keep qualified and get, do some really cool flying. So you get both, you know, get a little taste of both worlds. And, uh, my final, the final thing I want to talk about before I, I, have Steve, uh, give you an answer to this question is this. Uh, it, the question is you brought up is should you get a type rating on top of your ATP? Now, you need your ATP, of course, your airline transport pilot's license. Definitely need that. You have to have it. Should you get your type rating? Okay. This is a, a more complex uh, question than than uh, you would think. It's actually a yes and no. Yes if you're, someone else is paying for it. If the military is going to pay for your type rating, et cetera, then yes. If you're going to get a type rating, get it in something that is a popular aircraft, uh, say a 737 or an Airbus A320. I do know most people pick the 737. The reason being there is an airline uh that in the United States which requires you to have your type rating in the 737. So that's the most popular one uh but throughout the world it's great to have an Airbus type rating. The very pop- those two airplanes are 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 wonderful. If you're looking at leaving and going to say a corporate job and that you know that corporate job you want flies a certain airplane or you just want to fly a certain airplane and someone's going to pay for it, then great. Now the downside to this is the fact that every so often this happens. It's it. it, There's a question that will come up in an interview. Say you're interviewing for a job with an airline that only flies Airbus airplanes and they look here that you have a, a Boeing 737 type rating on your resume and they notice that you really don't have that many hours in it. And they'll ask, why did you get your 737 type rating? Just be prepared to answer that question. And if you're applying to, say, Delta, who doesn't require it, uh, and you say, well, because this other airline requires it on my application, that's why I did it, they're going to start asking questions like, well, do you really want to come work for this company or do you want to work for that company? So be prepared for those type of questions and, and try not to stumble. Uh, on those questions. And, and again, we could do a whole uh, show just about questions and answers in an interview. And, and we might do that at some point. But, but remember that. Remember to answer that question. Why did you get your type rating? And if it's, you know, it could be as simple as well. They were willing to pay for it. So I, I use those benefits. So that's, uh, that's important to, to look at there too. Again, it's, these are all my perspective on the pros and cons. I really think that, uh, personally in this environment, the airlines are, boy, they're really, uh, starting to hire this quote unquote pilot shortage we've been talking about. It, it it's, it's starting to happen depending on how you, you define a pilot shortage. Airlines, especially regionals right now are asking, you know, giving bonuses and pay, that type of thing, uh, just to get people to come on board. They're having trouble finding people, uh, major airlines, the legacy airlines, they never have a real problem. They just have uh normally when they're hiring, they don't have as big of a pool. Right now there's a huge pool of people that have a lot of experience, uh but they will start running out at some point. It's going to be the next uh, 10 years or so. They're they're looking at many, many retirements. So really best thing to do is, is you know, go for it, try to find an airline that you like and get on with that airline and start working for them. The the one thing that I, I'd caution maybe is uh, some people put in applications at airlines they don't want to work for, uh either for the practice, for the interview. Uh, but if you do get hired, you don't get hired anywhere else, this is what can happen. You get hired with an airline you don't want to work for. You're in training. The airline you do want to work for calls you, and then you're like, well, no, I don't want to go. I've seen that play out a bunch of times where people will say, Oh, I don't want to go. And then five years later, they're kicking themselves because that's the airline they really wanted to work for. And they're at the airline they didn't want to work for, but they can't leave because everything's based on seniority. And now they're a captain and they're making lots of money and they can't take the pay cut. So that's my perspective. Uh, and now I'm going to hand it over to Steve. Now Steve asked me to, uh, to actually read his, uh, you know, answer, because I've, I've been quite busy with, uh, with flying lately. The summer has been a killer. We've been so busy, which is good, you know, that we've been really, really busy, but I've been flying a lot lately. So let me just read. I wasn't able to get Steve on, on the, uh, the podcast, but let me, let me read you what he wrote to you. He says, wow, sounds, sounds identical to the decision I had to make at about my 13 to 14 year point in my Air Force career. However, the airlines were not hiring at that point in time when I was serving, so I chose to stick it out until a little over 20 years before I retired. I retired at the age of 41 and started drawing retirement pay the month after I retired and knew I had some type of financial security because starting first-year pay at a regional airline is dismal. As I mentioned earlier, and this is Steve talking again, as I mentioned earlier, things were different when I retired in 2006. It was post 9-11, legacies were not hiring, and the economy was starting to go downhill. I also did not want another desk job, so I elected to keep current and apply to the regionals who were hiring and keep my flying currency until legacy carriers started their hiring again. Well, here I am, six plus years later, still in the right seat, But there's finally some light at the end of the tunnel. The legacies are starting to hire, and there's a great time for someone to get into the airline industry at the beginning of the hiring spree. I also think for those that get hired early during the hiring spree, we'll probably see an upgraded captain at about five-year point and maybe less depending on the airline due to the proposed upcoming future retirements and work-slash-rest rules. That is to say if things keep going the way they are, and we don't have another 9-11-type incident. I think I've had to do it all over again. I would probably have gone the reserve route and have gone to the airlines. I say this now only because this industry is primed to start and continue hiring new pilots for the next 10-plus years, and many airlines have started hiring many pilots again due to retirements, new FAA workroom rest rules, and the mandatory ATP requirement for Part 121 airlines. Now, common sense also dictates if one is going to make the transition from military to airline flying, they have to weigh the pros and cons of each. In addition, they must have some type of financial security for the first year or two until they get off airline reserve and start seeing higher pay rates, once off their probationary first year at the legacy carriers. Another thing to look at if you make the transition to the airlines is what airline you want to apply to and where are the hubs located. My recommendation, especially if you have a family, is either move to the city hub location or pick an airline that has a city hub where you want to move to and be close to family. That's kind of like what I was talking about before. Steve continues, I've been commuting for six plus years and it gets very stressful if it's not on your own airline. In addition throw weather and other commuters in that mix, which can make it even more stressful. Something else to think about is you might have to commute the day prior on your day off, make a zero dark 30 show the following morning, or on the tail end of a pairing, if you get in late and you can't commute home that night, you have to catch a flight home the next day on your day off. This brings up the fact that you will need a ple- place to sleep slash rest, such as a hotel or a crash pad. You have to spend extra money, and believe me, they aren't cheap. All the privileges of being the new junior guy at the bottom of the your airline senior list with the flying schedules and lines that the sea guys don't want to fly. <laughs> now, I also want to point out, and this is Steve again talking, and now I also want to point out regarding deployments while being Uh, the military with the military reserves it's not what it used to be if you're concerned about deploying in the reserves you will now get your fair share of that because due to all the military budget cuts in the past years everyone whether active duty or reserve will be in the deployment bucket and if your units number comes up you're going i believe some units are deploying yearly or even sooner than that depending on their mission or specialty On the positive side of being in the reserves, you will not have to uproot your family every three to four years and move to a new duty location, which sometimes can be difficult on your family, especially if you have young school-age kids. Something else to consider in the reserves is if you're in a flying billet. You will keep flying even as you receive your promotions. Unlike active duty, where you will fly less as you get promoted, just enough to keep your currency to maintain your flight pay, meaning more leadership command and staff desk jobs until you retire. Overall, everyone's situation is different. They have different goals, needs, and desires. I would sit down with your family or by yourself if you're single and make a list of pros and cons, and then decide from that what is best direction you want to go in. Steve then says, good luck. And I, I, I agree with much of what Steve said has to say in, in those comments there. Uh, and Steve has lots of experience with this and has helped a lot of folks, you know, move along in their, in their career and also helped a lot of folks with the, with their leaves of absence. So things are, are changing a little bit. But you know, before we close today, this is, uh, uh, there's a couple things I want to say. Uh, number one, you know, these podcasts are, I'm hoping to get them out a little more often. Uh, but again, I've been doing a lot of flying lately, and June, July, August are the toughest months for me. I am about 30, 40 behind. I have a lot of great interviews coming down the pike. Uh But I've decided what I'm going to do is do some more uh, shorter ones that I can do in between trips, just like this one, where I can get some information out to you and and help you along. So this podcast here, I hope, has helped you if you're thinking of retiring from the military or from any job, and you're thinking of transitioning to the airlines. You know, it's important to weigh the pros and cons, just like Steve said. What I like to do when making a decision, a real significant decision, like this one, changing careers or retiring, is I take out a piece of paper and I draw a line down the middle. Then I begin putting the pros on one side and the cons on the other. If after you finish your list, you know, this whole list – the cons outweigh the pros, and you need to start thinking again about your decision. I'm not saying you shouldn't make that decision, but you have to go back and see uh you know in, are these the really the pros are these really the cons, and you know maybe I shouldn't do this now, maybe I should wait till later. what could be changed from a con to a pro those type of things and 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 when you're doing this it it's it's also important to get your spouse or your significant other involved. Have them look at your list and make changes as necessary. A pro to you, say on your list, it's a, it's a good, it's a positive, can be a con to your partner. So you gotta you gotta figure that out. You know, if if living in Maui is is a wonderful thing to you, but your partner doesn't want to live in Maui, then your shouldn't go there. You know, you should think twice about that. But whatever you decide, make sure you're doing this for what is best for you and your family. Don't worry about what others might think because they don't know your situation. Then after you make this decision, go for it and move forward. You know, I have faith that whatever you decide in your career, you'll be successful because you're willing to put forth the effort and persevere through the tough times because you have purpose now. Make sure you keep the list with you and add items even after you've made your decision. So keep that pros and cons list this will be helpful in altering your path towards your ultimate goal you know you should expect challenges along your new career path but don't get discouraged look at these challenges as growth opportunities and not as roadblocks you know roadblocks just like on a highway can be along your career path but don't think of them as failures they're there to be removed or to be driven around you know, I have faith that you will achieve your aviation career goal. You know, I can't wait to see you join me in this exciting, challenging, and fun field of aviation. You know, if you've found this information helpful, please visit aviationcareerspodcast.com and help support this podcast by visiting our sponsors on the website. Also, if you have any questions... On anything I talked about today or any other questions, please click on the contact tab and ask us. You know, I'm sure there's someone listening right now who would benefit from the question you ask. Well, thanks again for listening, and we'll talk to you next episode. And safe flying.